Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up to date with developments in the arboriculture industry. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with today's talk by Andrew Harrison on the New Zealand Tree Project, a mission to photograph and document an entire New Zealand tree. It was originally presented at the 2016 ISA International Conference in Fort Worth, Texas. So really we wanted to celebrate the New Zealand forest because like in most cities now, most people live in cities. Um, sorry, most countries now, most, uh, most people live in cities. More and more people are losing touch with um, nature, losing touch with getting out into the forest and climbing trees. You know the story really. Um, and we wanted to produce something that wasn't just for bringing to a conference like this. We wanted to take it out to the people and tour around with it. And we'll talk about that a bit later, how we've established that as well. Um, and in the process, we wanted to create a way of um, creating an image of a, a composite image of a tree without too much expense. Um, when the National Geographic did it, they had a gyrostatic stabilised camera which cost about $10,000 just just this bit. Uh, we knocked together something from the local hardware shop for I think $20 to hold the cameras. Um, and it worked. So this is where I'm from. Um, this is the North Island of New Zealand. Uh, you can see Auckland's the largest city. The population of Auckland is about uh, 1.5 million. The total population of New Zealand is, I think, approaching 4.5 million now, which is smaller than the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area right here. Um, I'm based in Hamilton, which is kind of halfway between Auckland and Lake Taupo, which is in the centre of the North Island. Uh, the Puriura Forest, which uh, we did our photography in, is where the star is, which if you can see to the left of the lake there, or to the west. Um, the dark green in that photo is forest, some of it native, some of it exotic pine forest plantation. So to the west of Lake Taupo there is, is the Puriura Forest, broken up into fragments because it was heavily logged in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, unfortunately. Uh, the forest itself is, for those of you that love numbers, about 78,000 hectares of forest. 
that's 192,000 acres or just over 300 square miles. Um, one of the reasons that we chose Puriora Forest was because it's less than two hours drive from Hamilton. So uh, a lot of people have asked us why didn't we do the cowrie trees? The cowrie are a bigger tree, but there was a number of reasons that we didn't. There was um, one, a political reason. There's uh, getting into the forests and doing the work in, in the cowrie forests is quite sensitive. There's a Phytophthora disease that is affecting them currently, has been for the last 10 years, and that needs to be managed carefully. So doing work off the tracks in the cowrie forests is a bit of a no-go. Um, plus we wanted to do a tree that all, of, all New Zealand could identify with. Rimu, which is um, Decrocarpus capricinum from the Podocarp Aceae family, is a conifer tree that grows throughout the New Zealand, right from the top of the North Island, right to the bottom of the South Island. So, uh, yeah. The current forest uses is mainly outdoor activities, hiking, uh, mountain biking. They've built a trail, uh, 80 kilometer trail, right through the whole, um, that's about 50 miles, right through the whole forest for uh, mountain biking and quite a bit of hunting for introduced mammals as well. So to the photography, now I'm assuming here that a lot of you have tried to take photos of trees. And often you'll get a photo a bit like this where you can see the canopy of the tree and then particularly the New Zealand forest is very dense undergrowth, that's, that's not unique. A lot of forests are like that. Um, to get a picture of an entire tree is a difficult undertaking. Um, and this is the sort of thing that you'll get. That's, that's a Rimu with the um, emergent canopy coming out of the, the sub-canopy there. The other angle that you often get is from the base of the tree looking up. So you see the magnificent trunk and then the canopy just kind of fades away into the vanishing point really. Uh, that's a Rimu, similar to the one that we photographed. Uh, this is a New Zealand cowrie, Agathis australis, and similar view. You know, you've all walked through forests and you can look up at the trees like that and that's about all you see. So with those problems combined, if you're too close, then you just see trunk. If you're too far away, then you just see the top of the tree and a whole lot of sub-canopy underneath. Uh, we really discovered after looking around in Puriora Forest, looking for a tree to photograph, and we went to all the big trees, the named trees, and none of them we could actually access. So we came to the point where we needed to have a, a large tree to photograph with a tree adjacent to it that had actually fallen over. We couldn't cut one down, um, all the trees are protected, but, uh, and along with that, we also needed some rigging trees near to that that we could set up our rigging that were actually as high or higher than the one that we were photographing. So we did find one, and this is looking from our subject tree back to where we took the photos from. Uh, so there's a, a, a broadleaf tree that fell over in front of it, and basically it just 
had this big corridor of access and visibility that we could see, now see the tree. Um, so before I go further, I'll just introduce the other key members of the team because like I said at the start, this is a, a real team collaboration project. It, it wouldn't have happened without these other people. Um, so this is Catherine Kirby. She's an ecologist from the Waikato University. Uh, she's in her 20s, um, really enthusiastic. She's already written an, a book about epiphytes. She's done her masters. Um, it was her idea to do this project. This is Steve Pierce and Jen Sanger. They're both from Australia. Any Australians here? Um, lovely people. <laughs> um, Jen is also an epiphyte ecologist. Uh, they, she was doing her PhD at the time. Uh, she's just finished it. Uh, Steve, her partner, is a professional adventure and outdoor photographer. They were based in uh, Tasmania and um, through just an online introduction, uh, Catherine talked those two into coming to New Zealand for a couple of months to do this project. Um, and then there's that funny looking fella up the tree. Um, I was invited Oh, I was going to say because they couldn't find anyone else. That's not true. Um, I knew Catherine uh, because for her to do her epiphyte research, she had to learn to climb trees. So I taught her to climb trees a few years prior. And we have a good relationship, the uh, Waikato Institute of Technology, WinTech for short, with the uh, University of Waikato. And we often work together in our science programs to um, help each other out. And I've, I've had a number of their uh, postgraduate students trained to, uh, for tree climbing. So along with uh, the four key members, we had a whole bunch of others come in as well. Um, so we had a team of climbers, particularly for the setup and pack down, and we had other people coming in at different times as well, um, particularly when we had uh, media people coming in. Uh, we had some TV people come in, the um, journalists from the New Zealand Geographic, and they wanted to climb a tree. So it's, um, it's always better if there's uh, extra climbers on the ground to, um, to help with that. Um, we really, uh, we didn't have to twist anyone's arm to get involved. Everyone, as soon as we mentioned what we were doing and we already had the ball rolling, they just jumped on board and uh, we got a lot of help from various people along the way, um, which we'll, I'll mention at the end. Um, not least John Gathright here, who's supporting me at the front. Thanks, John. Um, so we had two primary photographers. There was Steve and another guy called Mitchell. Um, a bunch of scientists come in and give us um, their advice. We also, which was really important to us, had the support of the local Maori people. They have not had the best treatment um, in that part of the world, um, and the forest is sacred to them, and it was important to us to respect that, and they really it was quite touching how, um, how thankful they were that, w that we had got them involved right from the start. Uh, so this is two.
uh, he's uh, he's the the chief for the local tribe. And uh, before we started the project, they gave us their formal blessing, um, welcomed us into the forest, and uh, that was even though I don't understand the Maori language, it was uh, quite touching in itself. Uh, we had um, some of our uh, some of you might recognise the fellow in the front. Um, James, who's a graduate of Wintech, I should put that out there, um, and good friend of mine now. Uh, he came and helped us with the setup along with uh, Annika, his partner. Uh, he was in New Zealand at the time, and you might be thinking, why has he got no shoes on? It's a bit of a Kiwi thing that uh, often we wander around barefoot. It's not because we can't afford shoes. Maybe it is for some, but um, when we're climbing these big land of trees, we actually often remove our shoes or boots once we get up into the canopy, and uh, it just helps uh, be more cautious and causes less trampling on the epiphytes because some of these trees, as you'll see, are they're laden with uh, plant growth up in the canopy. And if you're walking around with big clunky boots, your holes, you squash a whole lot of stuff and um, you tend to be rougher. Okay, so how do we do it? Uh, we had to climb and set up a whole lot of rigging in trees that were 40 metres plus, some close to 50. And I know these trees, so that's um, 150 foot, pushing 100, 130 to 150, I guess. Um, I mean, these trees aren't nearly as tall as the redwoods. What we've tried to do is not necessarily compare our trees with trees anywhere else. This is just um, you know, celebrating the trees that we do have. Um, so we had cable cams set up between trees, um, horizontally but also vertically and I've got a nice video clip at the end that um, you can see some of the footage from that. Uh, we spent 29 days in the forest. Uh, Steve spent, the photographer spent 29 days non-stop in the forest. There was accommodation nearby with a shower and so forth that he would go to when he needed to. Um, probably he should have gone there more often. Um, I wasn't there for the whole 29 days, I was there for I think 14 days. I was trying to hold down a full-time job and a full-time family and a full-time side project all at the same time. So I was backwards and forwards, Catherine was backwards and forwards, we were often there at different times to support uh, Steve and Jen who were down there for the entire time. Uh, so at the end of it we had literally hundreds of hours of video, high definition video, we had more than 120,000 still images. Um, and on my computer at home, I've got, well, on a hard drive, I've got about three terabytes of information from, from this project. Uh, so just a shot of the equipment that we used, which some of it was fairly basic, but this is um, for, the, for the camera enthusiasts. This is um, the Canon 5D Mark III, which is the latest model at the time. I think there's some new, a new model out now. The attachment below the camera is a, they call a syrup genie. It's an ingenious little device that 
makes time-lapse relatively simple. Um, it's got a little computer in it, you program it, you set how many shots you want per hour. Um, it can move along a cable, it can tilt the camera, um, and it sends a signal to the camera to take those photos at the right time. What it doesn't do is it doesn't change the camera settings. So you've got to set the, you know, the focal length, the aperture, and uh, all those other camera settings. I'm, I'm not the photographer. Um, so that's just a simple tilt to uh, photograph a tree in an upwards direction like that. This is another setup with the same camera equipment. That's the same camera, the same genie. But you can see uh, at the bottom of the genie, there's a little black string. That one, um, is, it's like got a little winch on it. So it progresses that trolley along the cables. That horizontal cable cam we set up uh, multiple times on the forest floor. Uh, Steve would do that uh, when there was other people not there. Uh, if we were setting it up in the canopy, then there needed to be another climber there, usually me, to, um, to help set up that. And I've got a shot of that about 36 metres up a tree um, soon as well. Uh, so this is some more of the local people and also uh, Tom from the Department of Conservation. And let's just say the Department of Conservation and the local Maori tribe hadn't got on that well recently. Um, so just the fact that they were in the same place at the same time was an improvement in relations. Um, and so we were, we were glad to have um, been, a, been a catalyst, I guess, in, um, in that. So the Department of Conservation is the you know, government, like your forest service really, that, um, that looks after the forest and their ways of doing things don't always line up with the traditional ways of doing things. Um, for the documentary in particular, we had uh, visits from uh, research scientists, these two uh, guys there, they're both called John actually, um, with Catherine. Um, they, they'd studied the native bird populations in the forest over the years. They go back to the um, 70s when the, um, the logging was stopped there and surveyed uh, population decline first of the native bird populations and then through um, introduced pest management um, saw the, uh, the numbers soar. So this forest, the area that we're working in, is actually one of the best forests for native birds in the country. So there's a lot of New Zealand um, bird population in particular has been wiped out on the mainland and there's a few offshore islands that have remnant populations. This is one of the mainland populations that, um, or one of the areas on the mainland that has, has survived really. Um, other interesting visitors, um, we tracked down some of the loggers from back in the 40s. We, uh, we tracked down the original bulldozer driver that was uh, clearing the tracks through the forest. Um, and the, the, we also tracked down the original 
protesters from 1978. So in the middle of that tree, in the middle of that slide, you probably can't make it out, but there is two people. Uh, the leader of the protest is a guy called Stephen King, um, and that's his younger brother, kind of squatted up. They sat in the trees in 1978 for a number of days um, to try and stop the logging, and they were successful. In fact, I was a young boy at the time. My father was a conservation-minded man, and I remember vividly, even all those years ago, him, Dad, talking about the, um, the protests that were going on in this forest in the central North Island, and we, we watched the news and saw it, and um, it, was a, it was a pretty a conservation history. It was a, a groundbreaking time. The interesting thing was that when we spoke to a number of the loggers, in reflection, they went, we should have done it ourselves. And they were looking around the forest, and some of them got quite emotional. They were back in the forest that they'd, if they'd carried on, would have destroyed. And they were just, they were sitting there, one old guy in his 80s was sitting there going, this is magnificent. What were we doing? Why didn't we climb the trees and stop the logging? Um, I guess, you know, hindsight. Um, this is Mitchell, our second cameraman up the top there in the black. This is his first ever climb. Um, it was quite amazing, the dedication of some of these guys, that they'd never... In fact, he was a city boy. He didn't have a proper raincoat. Um, but uh, whatever we asked him to do, he would get up there and do it. Obviously, I had to set him up. And this particular day, we were doing some filming of actually me climbing. Um, but I would have to climb up with him, then climb down, and then climb up while he was filming, and then climb with him to the next spot and then do it all again. Um, so I, I don't know how many times I've climbed that particular tree. That's one of our rigging trees. It's not our subject tree. Um, but, I mean, there are worse jobs. That tree's about 46 metres. So this is up in the tree. And like I said before, this is, this is one of the reasons that we take our shoes off when we're up there. You can just see... I don't know if I have a pointer. Do I have a pointer? Yes, I do. Uh, top left-hand corner, there's a faint bit of blue. That's one of our rigging pulleys there, which is just um, camouflaged in amongst all the um, epiphytes. In this slide alone, um, there's mosses, ferns, grasses, and uh, New Zealand native orchids. Um, and there's actually, not far away, there's some broadleaf species. This slide, I've got no notes, I've got no title, um, but it's just what I did. Climbed around the trees and had a look around. Um, and it does remind me of a time when I was actually helping a, a, a it was actually the BBC film crew up in an, another forest, and I was belaying a climber from the ground, and it was on a, a famous tree where there's a viewing platform 
and the public were coming through and I, just, I heard this young boy say to his dad, hey, that what those guys are doing, that's, that's got to be the best job in the world. And, and I was sitting on the ground at the, at the time and heard him and I was just thinking, this is, this is the best job in the world. I mean, for me it is. It might not be everybody's cup of tea, but um, climbing these big trees and um, exploring, working with talented and skilled and um, imaginative people, it's, it's not much better really. Um, this is the cable cam that uh, we set up the time lapse with. This is at about uh, 35 metres betu between two Rimu trees. Uh, it took three days to set this up before we got one shot. Then it took another five days to get the right weather for the time lapse to actually go the full length uh, to get the shot that we wanted. We were doing other things in between times. It's not like we just sat there for five days. Um, but the weather in that part of the world can be pretty fickle. It rains a lot and the rain is okay for photography but if, it's, if the sun's shining one moment and then it's raining the next, the, the light is all out so um, it has to be consistently cloudy is the best for, for that kind of photography. Uh, so it's pretty tedious setting all those cables up at that height, three days just to set it up. But along with the abundant plant life in the trees, there is a lot of wildlife, not just tree climbers, but um, there's uh, a, a wide variety of invertebrates. There's um, a number of reptiles, including geckos and skinks. Uh, birds, of course, that I've already mentioned. There's about 12 species commonly found in this area that aren't found elsewhere. I mean, then there's the common ones as well. There's, um, there's also two species of native bats, and uh, there's no naturally occurring uh, ground-based mammals in New Zealand. That's, that's why it's, the birds are so vulnerable to, um, to introduce pests. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, when I was climbing with Mitchell, when I was up and down the tree numerous times just for getting the right shot, this one was actually the opposite. Steve, the photographer, is in actually our subject tree. I'm in a, another Rimu behind, and I don't know how long I had to sit on that branch. Just, just look over that way. Just can you move forward a bit? You need to be into the light. Oh, hang on, the sun's gone. Wait. So probably perched in that one spot for about an hour just to get the one shot he wanted. When I volunteered for the project, I had no idea that I would be the subject of the photography. Um, and uh, actually, I hate to say it, but Steve said by the end of it, I was getting quite a poser, just because I was getting used to it. Um, this is Catherine uh, surveying the epiphyte population. There's approximately or close to 30 species of perching plants or epiphytes in this 
part of the forest. There's probably only about 15 to 20 in any one tree. Uh, it's interesting that different trees support different species of epiphyte. It kind of stands to reason, really. And uh, just the bark structure and the way the, the epiphytes can hold on to the, um, the, the, the branches is, um, changes with the species of tree. Some of the trees will have big um, angulated branches and the epiphytes don't like them so much, they tend to fall off. The flat branch trees, uh, like another Podocarpaceae kahikatea, uh, uh, tends to have flat branches and they'll grow all the way to the trunk. So this is a, um, an evening shot of the foliage of, of the rimu tree. Um, you can see it's got scale-like fo um, foliage. It's you know, similar to a capressus in the scale-like foliage it's got. Um, the, the other trying thing of the, of the project was that the best light was first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening. And we did this in March last year, which is the end of our summer. So it meant getting up pre-dawn every day um, to, and then, you know, staying there all day as well. Uh, this is the top of our portrait. Um, and it took Steve, after the, the, the shoot was over, Steve spent from April until November working on the project full time. So he had a documentary to make, he had the portrait to put together, um, and he, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, we had an opening for the, um, for the documentary. We had about 200 guests there. Um, we also put together a timeline of the life history of the tree. So the, the human population or human history of New Zealand starts about 800 years ago. We estimate the tree that we photographed to be about 700 to 800 years old. And there are trees in the forest which are twice that age. So there are many, many trees in New Zealand that are older than human population have, um, than humans have been in the country. Um, that is our portrait with uh, Stephen King in the front. He was the protester from 78 and uh, he really supported us through this, through this project as well. Just quickly as we kind of, whoops, sorry. Um, these are the galleries that the um, exhibition has been to so far. We've got, um, we've got our four metre portrait. So it's a one-tenth size of the actual tree. So that's about 13 foot high. Uh, that's been shipped around to all those locations so far. Um, actually, sorry, a couple of those are still to come. And we've got uh, about a dozen or so um, of high quality prints that go with that as well in the documentary. Uh, so museums and art galleries have been quite or really interested in it actually. So, um, and a bit of a plug for my employer there, that's Wintech. Without their support, I wouldn't have made it here. So that's Steve and I at the, um, at the opening. Now that's 
our subject tree from the normal angle. If you walk into the forest, that's, that's how you would see it. This is our tree with 65 composite photos put together. So the whole tree is in perspective. It's, um, you're not just seeing the canopy. And without that tree falling in front of it, which you can still see some of the damaged other trees just to the right of our subject tree, um, we could never have done it. So just a, a quick snippet here from... If we can just open these things to other people's eyes and bring them into it so that they can engage with it and see this magical world, then we will all look after it, I think. That's the voice of uh, Stephen King, who actually narrated quite a bit of the documentary for us. Well, not really narrated, it was just tracks from the interviews that we took of him. Um, if you want to find out more information, uh, that's our website there. Uh, feel free to email me. Um, that's my work email address. Uh, we're on Facebook, um, and we're doing regular updates there. In fact, I think John's taken a picture of me to go on Facebook of today. Uh, thanks, John. Um, and this is our sponsors. So again, Wintech, Syrup, Waikato University, um, collection of um, other sponsors there. You can see John Gathright's Arborist Training Institute. Um, and our media sponsor is the National, uh, sorry, the New Zealand Geographic, which um, January this year, um, article published about the project, about canopy science in general, actually. And our portrait uh, is the fold out in the middle, which um, sold, sold well. Um, I also do have some posters and we have prints available. If you want to support the project, that would be much appreciated. Um, just come and see me at some stage. I'll be here for the next day or so. So thanks very much. This concludes Andrew Harrison's talk on the New Zealand Tree Project. To learn more, you can find additional information at the ISA web store, including the Manual of Woody Landscape Plants, now in its sixth edition. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this talk, visit the ISA online store and select Online CEU Quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country, trees, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques, whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.